this is Dr. Dina Dine with Returning to Eden, and uh, somewhere there in the wings is my cohort, Jeff Morton. I'm Hi, here. Jeff. Hello, everybody. <laughs> we made it another exciting excursion into uh, excellence in Torah study, whatever. Uh, so we really enjoyed our, our show last week. Um, I have to say, as the only female, it was a little hard to get a word in with these three guys who all love to talk. <laughs> so it was a bit of a challenge. But we managed, and I think uh, it was fun, and I hope hopefully everybody enjoyed the show and you know, it was just kind of us sharing how we got to know each other and kind of where we're at in relationship to one another. And we're looking, we're really looking forward to the Temple Course, which is, gosh, coming up three weeks from tomorrow. Yeah. Three yeah. weeks we'll be in Florida. Yes. Sunny, warm Florida, I hope. <laughs> you know, Dean, I've never been to Florida. Oh, you haven't? Never well, been there. Never. Not if one. the weather's good, you're in for a treat. Uh, well, my sister's going to be joining us, so I'm in for a treat either oh, way. So yeah, that's that, really special. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I guess uh, he's got, Rico said he's got close to 100 people. So right, gonna, yeah. And that's, that's the max. He can't take any more. So if you didn't sign up, Shame on you. Next you know time. what I found most interesting about Joe, I, I've only met him once, was his recollection. He could recall. Oh, that guy knows everything. I mean, but he, he remembered when he, when he met me. He didn't yeah. remember meeting me, but he remembered the year. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> I don't even know what year this is. Well, <laughs> when it comes to anything relational and, in, and connected to the temple or whatever, he has total recall. It's, a, yeah. it's remarkable. I'm really and, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, also, I, we're, I wanted to bring up, um, have a tour planned to Israel. Yes. And it will be, it's actually going to be called Returning to Eden. And I'm, I'm going to be trying to go. <laughs> right. So it's not until 2019. We did that on purpose. It'll be March 2019, and that gives you 15 months to save your money. Um, one of the reasons I did that instead of the fall is I wanted to to get the extra time. You know, we have daylight because the daylight savings will be on then, so we have extra extra daylight during the day. Um, it's beautiful there in March after the rainy season. Everything is in bloom. Now, how perfect is that for garden? activity. We're going to, you know, see a lot of, uh, there's one place in particular that I want to spend some time. Um, it's called Neokidumim. It's between uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, closer to Jerusalem. It's the biblical gardens. And it is, it's 625 acres. It's fabulous. So I really want, normally, well, tours rarely go there. And the one or two tours I've been on that we did go there, we were there maybe an hour. And then it was, you know, back on the bus. So the goal of this tour is to take our time. Uh, I'm only 20 max. That's all we're taking. We want to be able to spend good quality time at the sites. Uh, this is a, a great tour, especially for people who have already been and kind of covered north to south. and They get the main tourist stops. We want to spend, you know, some good time at some of them. We've already got the hotels lined up for our trip. Basically, we'll be staying most of it, well, in Jerusalem, and we'll be doing going out on day trips from there and then uh, up in the Galilee. So basically just two, two hotels other than when we fly in. We are going to go to Itamar. We'll be doing Shiloh 
and spending quite a bit of time in the City of David, the Archaeological Museum there um, on site at the Temple Mount. And, um, you know, got, we're looking at doing a sort of afternoon archaeological dig just to learn about how that all works. So got some good ideas about, about what we want to do. So I do I hope you make it. I know this is all preliminary, but um, uh, when you when you get all this stuff squared away, how can the folks learn about it? Where your website? Oh yeah, it'll be. Uh, of course, it'll go out of my newsletter. I'll have it on Facebook. It'll be on my website, and then I will, you know, I'll be promoting it to death. Um, soon as everything, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Well, I was just I was talking to the father one day. I said, Father, maybe it's time for me to go to Israel if if that's possible. Um, maybe it's time to go, and then you brought this conversation up right after that that conversation I was having with him. So if everything works out and the fine funding and stuff is here, because it's not, you know, this is not a couple of bucks. No, no, you can you can pretty much count on it being around forty five hundred dollars. I mean, Maso Menos three or four hundred here or there, but that's generally the cost of most tours for, and this is two weeks. Uh, the dates are March 17th to March 31st, 2019. So then uh, I have I have a a good good amount of time to go before the throne and do a little groveling. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Uh, yeah, this I think this gives if if you, people are serious, this gives you enough time. You know, start saving per month, and uh, you've got 15 months basically, you know, to put some money aside for the trip. So you heard it here, folks. Folks, first, returning to Eden is going to actually be returning to Eden. <laughs> yes. Which yeah, I think is gonna, really cool. I know, and we're really going to focus in on that theme when we go. So, anyways, um, the other thing I wanted to, unless you have anything else you want to say about the tour. Well, I want to talk about your book. Okay. Well, so do I, because it's done. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I told I told Jeff today I was wandering around the house aimlessly wandering because I didn't know what to do with myself because I wasn't writing <laughs> or editing or doing something. Anyways, it's uh, it's in the final edit, and as soon as that's done, it'll go to to my formatter Dave Farley, and then he'll it'll be a few weeks, you know, him working on that. So I'm just telling everybody we'll look for it mid to late January probably closer to late January and uh, right now we're doing a pre-order so I haven't uh, I, I'm just sort of telling people I haven't made the big thrust here but if you go to my website foundationsintora.com on the home page yeah. just click on the marketplace it's up on the band it's up on the navigation bar just click on the marketplace and it'll take you right there just, and click and on you it can pre-order the book. Yeah. Uh, I did that today. It was pretty simple to do. I just clicked on the marketplace, and uh, the very first item is the pre-order, and yep. it was done. And it took me all of about five minutes, five seconds, really. Uh, yeah. Well, I say a couple of minutes because I had to thumb thumb around for my my you know my card, but uh, it was pretty painless. And I, based on what I have experienced this last year with Dr. Die, folks, I. I, I really encourage you to get, get this book. This is a game changer. I mean, it really is. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means tonight on the program. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes that we want to kind of tap into something. Uh, but this book is really a game changer, and you have to, you have to decide 
if you're going to come out of what we've been taught for the last 1,800 years and try to figure this thing out and go back and, and reconnect the Torah to the gospel, then you have to almost exclusively start in Genesis. You yep. just have to. Yeah. And, and once you do that, now that you, well, in our world, we don't really quite understand the patterns. We've got an Old Testament and a New Testament, and that blurred the lines between the story that's being repeated over and over and over and over again. Once you read the Old Testament, you move to the New Testament, and then you're at the end of the book. And what do you do now? Well, that's not the way the, the scriptures are written. The scriptures are telling a story over and over and over again. You just have to understand the Hebraic thought in order to kind of see it. And Dina, you and I have had some amazing conversations. Uh, and, of course, we've been for a year now, almost yeah. a year. Yeah, it's a year. the program, yeah. talking about returning to Eden, what that means. And tonight I want to talk... Um, well, I don't. Did you want to say anything with that before we before well, I? Just a, a note about the patterns because whenever you have a pattern, you got to go to the original. Like you can't just start with the pattern. You got to start with the original. What is it? You know, what does it look like, and go from there. So our original pattern is going to really be in Genesis one through three. I mean, it, and the story of Noah. I mean, Adam is just repeated over and over and over in different ways with different characters, different elements, but it's the same story over and over again. So from creation to Adam violating the covenant of God and being exiled out of the garden into the field. You'll just, I mean, we see it in Israel. We see it in the relationships like with Jacob and Esau. We're going to talk a bit about Esther and Haman. And by the time we get to the New Testament, I mean, it's just the same story. Now, let me just mention what the, what the church does with a pattern is it turns it into a, a doctrine and turns it into a theology. So we want to keep it in the pattern place. We don't want to take the pattern and turn it into a theology. We want to just look at the pattern. So just uh, kind of a heads up to that. Well, it's interesting you say that because I... I was talking to a mutual friend, um, and and I was I was showing him how the days are. I, I was I was basically trying to show him how John Yochanan, in the first several verses, is quoting Moses. I mean, he's right. quoting Moses both in the in the language, but also in the fact that there's a temple celebration going on, and John is announcing the kingdom. And he's using the words of Moses, but you pointed that out. If you don't understand that, and so while I'm talking to our mutual friend, who is coming out of the, uh, you know, the very thing you stated a moment ago, he kept quoting the theological mindset, and it was yeah. blocking his ability to see that John is simply quoting Moses, 1,500 yeah. years after the fact. He's yeah. telling the story that Moses is telling, but, but people, what you have to realize is that Moses is telling a story too. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what they did best, is tell stories and hand those stories down orally from generation to generation. And then we just take all these stories and stick them in a box and say, that means that, and that you know, without looking at the, the context of the story. Well, I, I mean, 
folks, I've had some amazing conversations with people over the last week, really, and it all centered around this theme. Moses is telling a story. He's not an eyewitness to the account in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. <laughs> he, he's telling a story. He's recalling a story. But he's doing it from the cultural integrity of his time. In other words, he's not explaining to them things that you and I have lost 3,800 years later. They understood the concept of what he was talking about. So when he says that the serpent approached Eve, they wouldn't have went, oh, the devil was in the garden? That's not the reality of the way that they understood the scriptures. Dina, you gotta, you got to elaborate. you got to help me on this one because in the Western mind, that's Satan. Right. Period. End of discussion, you know, and yet Satan is not mentioned not one time in the Torah, not one time. Right, right. So you want, well, you that, want to you and, want to address uh, that? I know you posted uh, the article that I found. Actually, the gal who wrote the article, Delansky, Yes. Went to, she's a professor at Carleton University in Ottawa, which is where I went to school. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. But in the ancient world, ancient Mesopotamian world, uh, initially, originally, uh, this, the serpent was a neutral figure, um, maybe tied to a, like a chaos being, but really it, it wasn't anything. It was just neutral. In time, the serpent, as we move farther along, uh, I suppose maybe two, three, four hundred years before the time of Yeshua, maybe even going back to Nebuchadnezzar in there, the serpent became represented a king or a power being or you know what we would call the chief beast in the field. So probably I'm not. It may have been the case at Moses's time. I I don't really know for sure, but. The, the serpent came to represent a, a powerful king, if you will. Or, or, or really an adversary. Yeah. He was always adversarial. So just like folks, and I'll just elaborate on that, just like we're all familiar with the terms type and shadow, well, a lot of the, the, um, the, the people that the father would, or, or, or Elohim would send against Israel for breaking the covenant and idolatry, would be one of these type one of these types of, of of beings. Yeah. That their interest was itself serving and to destroy Israel. And mm -hmm. so we see that uh, like Nimrod, Nimrod is a type and shadow of the very serpent that was dealing with Eve. So I'm proposing this that I believe that you know, folks, we have it in our mind that when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden just like we see Adam being placed in the garden, this giant hand putting Adam into the garden, uh, we see this giant boot kicking them out of the garden, and I get that's just that gets kind of ridiculous. So if we take the ridiculous out of it and realize that the pattern has been, whenever they asserted themselves above the the, the covenant and they began mm -hmm. idol worship, it cost them the land. They yeah. were removed yeah. from the land. Yeah. So yeah. we. If we take the same principle that we've seen over and over and over again and apply it to Adam, Adam allowed something to happen to his core which caused him and his family 
to be removed from the land. If we go one step further and consider him as a king or a high priest, then all of the subjects under him are removed. Yeah. Because that's the pattern. Dina, yeah. you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, and um, we, I actually gave an example of, uh, this is in my book, I do talk about this, the idea of, well, I think the thing we have to remember is that when we break covenant, there are natural consequences for breaking the covenant. God isn't just taking a baseball bat and hitting us over the head in judgment. It's that we are reaping the natural consequences of, of breaking the law. Of breaking it's like gravity. Covenant. And I, yeah. I want to say it because I've said it many times. It's like the laws of gravity. Yeah. Breaking the covenant, there's a consequence, and it's, right. a, it's, it's built in. Yeah, it's, and it's... And it's due to our own choices. So that's so we think. Uh, let's fast forward ahead to King Hezekiah. You remember him? Yes. His father was King Ahaz. His father was just like the worst king ever, who allowed the temple to go into disrepair. He was the one who actually commissioned an an, an altar. He saw an altar in Damascus, and he commissioned uh, someone to construct an altar just like it and he moved it into the temple. So there are actually two altars, and he positioned the altar that he had commissioned where the real, where the real altar was supposed to be, and he moved the other. I mean, just he did terrible things. Anyways, Hezekiah comes along, and now Hezekiah is a great reformer. He cleanses the temple, uh, reforms the entire institution, brings the people to repentance, all but that. But he, he made a mistake, though. Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting to. Right. So as king... He did something, and he allowed messengers from the king of Babylon. He brought, he literally invited them into the temple to show them all the gold and the silver and the armory and everything else. And he, you know, was very arrogant about it. So he let the enemy into the sacred space and showed the enemy everything he had. Like, how stupid is that? You don't do that. Right. And so then it's not very much longer after that. And Zadokia, we have King Nebuchadnezzar coming, the king of Babylon, who was well aware of everything that was in that temple, and of course took a, captured, destroyed the city and the temple, etc. So I, I just suggest that those two, there's a parallel there between what Adam did and, you know, and we have an example of allowing a foreign king into your space and then that king coming back to destroy you. So, so my challenge, folks, is this. If, you, if for a moment you can take it out of your mind that the serpent is Satan and consider him to be a type and shadow of the spirit of Antichrist, if you will, then, and he came out of the nations because he's a king and he's wiser than all the rest of them, that would either mean one of two things. Between the time that Adam met Eve and married her as a virgin in the temple, according to the Levitical laws, she would have given birth to nations in order for this king to rise up and be what he was. And now this king comes in and repudiates the status of the God of Israel to be, and Adam somehow falls short and I believe, this is just me, because I can follow the patterns, 
that I believe Adam was conquered at that point in time and that the kingdom was taken away from him and that that's how the father threw them out of the land because that's the pattern. Mm -hmm. The kings would always come and Nebuchadnezzar came in and he reshuffled the people and that's not just with Israel. That's an ancient thing that was done continuously. Whenever an invading king came in, he would relocate the people so they couldn't assemble against him. Right. And this is essentially what the king of glory, the creator of the universe did, is he dislocated Adam, removed him from coming back to the land. In other words, he sent him out into the nations. Well, and our good example we have, if Moses is writing this, of course, Moses is most familiar with the world, the Egyptian world. Right. And so the Pharaoh, we have in Isaiah 27, 1, talked, called the fleeing serpent, the twisted dragon. Uh, you know, he wore the uraeus, the headdress with the serpent on it. So likely that's the imagery that's being, that, that Moses is tapping into, is of a very powerful uh, king, which at, at that time obviously was the king of Egypt for Moses. Well, well we also see Yochanan in Revelation in the apocalyptic writing talking about that dragon, that serpent of old. Yeah, yeah. But again, their culture wasn't, they didn't turn on the computer and look up a Word document. They used metaphors and analogies based on their environment, and so this would have been common speak to them to use these type images to tell a story. And so when we see Moses, his culture is Egyptian for the most part, so he's relating that the serpent, everybody in his audience 2,000 years later, is going to equate that serpent to something like Pharaoh, a bad thing. And we need to look at it from that perspective because then the pattern, it's, we, we see that Adam, it, it kind of makes it a little bit more clearer to know that Adam was set apart just like Abraham, just like Joshua, just like Noah, just like Moses. He was set apart to do something specific, and he failed and was conquered, and it cost him the land. Right. So he's not, he's not a new thing. He's possibly the foundation of the pattern because I believe, and I would go so far, I can't prove this, but I would say that Adam was the first line of the kings of Israel. And that's why Moses started with Adam because he's trying to take the identity of the Pharaoh out of a people who have been enslaved. So what does he do? He returns them to Eden. And he begins well, to tell them about the king and the, the king of glory who is the actual king of the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel's birth, I believe, started with Adam. Oh, absolutely. No question. It's all through my book, so uh, I explain that quite a bit. The land is everything to a king. The, king. the land and the kingdom are essentially synonymous terms. So... You take away the land, you take away the kingdom, the king is left with nothing. Mm -hmm. So that is, it, it, you know, this is what empires fighting against one another, what do they always do? They take land to build and grow their empires. The more and more land they take, the more power they have. And so they you take always, away their land, they got nothing. And so when the kings would take the land, folks, they would also take a lot of the clippings from the garden, and then they would plant them. 
if you just look at the kings of England, for example, these gardens, these great big giant beautiful gardens that they put around all their stately homes, that's a facsimile of the actual ancient world because that's what they did. And if we look at the British Empire as being a conquering empire, that's that for them to have all these hanging gardens and whatnot around all their palaces is an ancient tradition. It's not something new. But, Dina, before we run out of time, I was talking to you this morning, and you brought up Esther because I was saying that. No, you brought up Esther. <laughs> I did? Yeah, you brought up and I responded. Well, what I was thinking was, Oh, okay, because I brought up Haman. Yeah. But, you know, the Holy of Holies. So let's say that Eve, Adam's, I, I just kind of think Yom Kippur in my head, but I could be wrong. It might have been the dedication. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Eve is talking to this serpent, and now Adam and Eve are standing there chomping down on the forbidden fruit in the sacred place. Because mm -hmm. the Bible says he's in the midst of the garden. You said something to me this morning that just kind of, Again, connected a parallel. What did you say? Well, we were talking about, you know, they allowed an enemy into the sacred space. That was their one job, and they blew it. Now, one of the things you do in the sacred space is you eat. Like, this is very normal. The sacred space is for, to eating was the highest form of worship in the temple. So the sacred space was to grow food for the priesthood to eat. So, anyways, we fast forward to the story of Esther and Haman. In a sense, Haman was allowed into, you know, the king allowed Haman into the sacred space, and he attempted to violate uh, Esther. Uh, but the expression there of the couch is what we were talking about, because that just seems sort of like, why are we bringing, you know, this is sort of random. I've wondered but, about that for 20 years. Go ahead. In the ancient world, the inner chamber of the temple uh, was actually one of, its, uh, one of its idioms, one of its names, it was called the couch. So the inner chamber of a temple was called the couch. So this is telling us where this violation is taking place in the inner sanctum, in the inner chamber. Again, just like we have a pattern with Adam and Eve, they allowed the enemy into the inner chamber, just like Hezekiah did. It's just, again, we just this repeats over and over and over again. And so, of course, Esther, I mean, Israel in, in Esther overcame. But the reason that happens is where were they? They were in exile, were and exile. most of the is most a tithe of Israel essentially went back to the land to rebuild the temple. They rebuilt the temple in approximately 515 BCE. Now we're looking at about 454 BCE. So in the story of Esther, you have to understand the temple is standing in Jerusalem, and mm -hmm. all these people refused to go back and work. That's where the presence of God was in Jerusalem in the inner sanctum, and so all these. People refuse to go back, so we have this event happening outside in exile. Well, but we know that Esther's son, I think it was either Darius or Cyrus, the, the lineage ended up sending Nehemiah back there, which is what Trump did. By recognizing Jerusalem, we can make a parallel that he's recognizing the city of David, or Jerusalem, if you will, and saying, okay, it's time to build a temple. Well, that's kind of what happened in Nehemiah's day with the descendants of Esther. So you know, if you don't connect, if you don't know the backstory, it's not possible to really see the uh, see the patterns. And unfortunately, Western theology theology doesn't know the backstories or the historical um, Well when you feel that you need to replace 
the entire Tanakh, and you know, when it's it's replaced, you cannot, you can't. Again, you got to go back to the original to to be able to understand a pattern. So if you throw out the original, there's no way you can understand a pattern. And so unfortunately, as you say, in the last you know 2,000 years approximately, we've thrown out the original, and then we just look at the scriptures from the from the New Covenant, from the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, and we're just missing a lot. I have always maintained if you can understand the first three chapters of Genesis, you got the whole Bible. And if you don't understand the whole story of being exiled, then I encourage you to read Ezekiel 20, where he gives an account of the what the reason that Israel was that the the, the people who left Egypt didn't make it into the promised land there's a reason and the reason is the same reason that the children were divided in the land and the reason is the same reason that the generations to come were scattered it all has to do with asserting themselves above the authority of God breaking covenant and idol worship which is what the nations had to offer yeah yeah that you know Again, it's it's kind of like Groundhog Day. It just keeps being the same every morning. <laughs> so so consider this. If the nations had to offer idol worship, were Adam and Eve any different because they succumbed to it? Where did those nations come from? <laughs> <laughs> You'll read it in my new book. <laughs> we will. Uh, we're done. We're yeah. out of time, folks. Yeah. We. We sure wish you all had a wonderful Hanukkah season and Amen. also that you have a wonderful uh, celebration in December and January. Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate that. And uh, we just, I mean, we're one people, one person Amen. Uh, under the kingdom. And one Lord covenant. One That's covenant. That's exactly right. So yeah. God bless you. Enjoy your holiday season, and we'll see you guys here next week. Uh, and don't forget to go pre-order Dina's book. Uh, that way it holds her accountable to making sure you get it. Okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is Jeff Morton with Dr. Dina Dye. So long. Shalom. Shalom, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.